On this episode, you will learn how you can be your own CFO. What is a fractional CFO? We go into the three other financial roles you need in your business. What three reports you should be reading each month. And finally, two financial benefits, sorry, two non-financial benefits to using a CFO. As always, if this episode helped you or brings you value, please do me a favor, share it with a friend. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome to Build Your Wealth Muscle, a podcast dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs build wealth by saving taxes and growing their money. Each episode will break down different strategies in the areas of business, tax, and retirement planning specifically for your coaching business. Disclaimer, the topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation. Please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making any changes to your financial or tax situation. Now here's your host, certified financial planner and tax advisor, Pat Darby. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great week. If you are new to this show, one, welcome. Appreciate you joining us as we're trying to grow the show. But so you're aware there's two show formats. The first one is like today. It's a solo episode where we can go really deep on specific topics, whether that's taxes, finance, wealth management. Today, we're going to talk about the CFO side of things. But this gives me the ability to talk to you about specific tasks and steps you can take. And hopefully, it's it's a really helpful DIY or get you to the point where maybe you need to hire somebody. But you can learn the basics because I do actually... One of the things that drives me nuts about the financial services or the financial businesses in general is that I feel like a lot of times you are talked at, you don't learn something. And that's a problem for two reasons. Because if it's confusing to you, you're not as comfortable with what they're doing per se. And two, um, you're at risk for fraud. Um, You need to be able to understand what people are doing. So I find education to be a, a major component of the things I do to help my clients. That being said, the second type of episode that we run, it's where we bring on a guest and they could be a colleague of yours in the online fitness space as, or they could be similar to more similar to me in that they're helping support your industry, whether that's from an accounting perspective, a legal perspective, sales, marketing, whatever the case may be. Um, if, again, if they're like a colleague of yours, then they can talk about some of the successes they've had, the challenges they've overcome, et cetera. So those are the two episodes. You you know the type of episode you clicked on today. This is a solo. And we're talking about the fractional CFO work and how you can either do it yourself or understand what you're getting. Because there there is it's a term I'm looking for. It's it's a vague space from a, a financial perspective. And I'll give you an example from my own life. When I was still in, like I was, I had a side business before I went into finance, I had a side business and I was also in medical sales. I was pre-med in college for anyone who may not know that. So I wanted to get into finance because I've talked about on previous episodes, but I had, I started my first business as a side hustle outside of my nine to five as medical sales rep. Like one of the cool perks of that job 
is that it does give you a lot of flexibility with your schedule. So I use a lot of that time to try to build a business and that, that went very poorly, but it was awesome in hindsight because of all the lessons it taught me and it helped me find the passion for business and finance. But I tell you that because I would ask my friends, like I was living at the time in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is right on the other side of Manhattan. So I would ask my friends that were in finance. I'm like, Hey, I want to join finance. What should I do? And I, I thoroughly understand it now, but at the time I got very frustrated because the responses I would get were vague and unhelpful because they were basically saying that's a really open-ended question. And like the types of things you can do in finance are really full spectrum. Like you could sit behind a desk and just crunch numbers all day about a type of company, like as an analyst, you could work with individuals as a financial advisor. You can work with companies as a financial advisor. So like there's, and that's just not even scratching the surface. There, there are so many layers So saying, I want to go into finance um, is just really vague and unhelpful. And again, like these are friends of mine, they weren't trying to be unhelpful, but they inadvertently were because I was asking the wrong question. So that's one of the reasons like I'm very aware of how confusing it is when you see, okay, I want to go hire a financial advisor. I want to go hire an accountant. I want to go hire a CFO. Or you hear those titles and you hear people using like, oh, I, my accountant, oh, my CFO, my financial advisor. And you're like, what the hell do they do? Because most of them aren't cheap. So if you're not really sure what they do, and then you hear what your friend is paying for them, it may not, it may be overwhelming. So I want to break down what a fractional CFO does, but more importantly, I want to break down for you a few of the other roles that are similar, but it all sort of plays together. So the main thing that a fractional CFO or, or a full-time CFO doesn't really matter if they're, let me, actually, this is a great point. I didn't anticipate talking about this, but a fractional CFO basically is like a rented CFO in that they're doing fractional work for you and someone else and maybe dozens or hundreds of companies, depending on the, the type of business and et cetera. Like we'll talk a little bit more about that. Or there's CFOs of like the Fortune 500 companies that obviously that's the only company they work for because the company is humongous and what they're doing is is very in-depth and time-consuming and complex. But that's why you'll hear like the term fractional CFO because a qualified CFO for a good company, they're probably going to start at like 250000 or so. So like that's why a lot of companies, they may not need or can afford a full-time person. So they would, in those scenarios, most likely be looking for someone fractional that's helping them out with the business, but they're helping other people too. So um, the cost is more reasonable for everybody. But they're, they're answering more or less two questions for you. The first one is, can I afford to blank? Whatever that is for you. That could be hire someone, work less, uh, buy this piece of equipment, spend this on that, whatever it is. Can I afford to blank? And then a, a subsector of that question or a second question, depending on your specific point in business, be when can I afford to blank? They're basically the same question depending on how your your specific situation is. But that's the overarching theme. 
Like you can boil it all down. Like what does the CFO do? Like that's really it. Like, and obviously there's a lot of different reports and things like that. We're going to talk about it, but that's ultimately it. You want somebody on your team and you can do this yourself. Like I, I will find out what it is, but I was considering making that one of the titles, like be your own CFO because you can do this yourself. And I'll talk about later, like the pros and cons on that, but that's really what you're doing. You're looking at all your data and you're saying, can I afford to blank? And so now that we have like the overarching theme of like, what do they do and how do they help us? Well, more how they help us. I want to talk about what we do, but let's first break down the roles of people that are going to help your business. This is specifically your business. Like on other episodes I've talked about, one of the reasons that my firm likes to do the wealth management advisory work as well as the tax and CFO work, because I feel like there's a bridge there that needs to be bridge. I didn't mean to use that term like back to back, but that bridge, it's very helpful in my opinion to have the professionals on the same page as they're bridging that gap because a lot can be lost in translation and you, the business owner may not be looking to either make that translation or Unfortunately, like I said in the beginning, like I do try to educate people, but sometimes either the person doesn't really want to be there. They're so busy. There's like, just do it. I trust you. Or um, they're having a, a difficult time with the concept themselves. So they want you there to be like, hey, I don't fully understand the strategy. I trust you, but I need you to explain it to this person. So here's four roles that are likely in your business. So we're going to separate them out by just super simple halves. The first half is past, the past tense. So these individuals, or they could be the same person, but these roles are looking in history. Now, the first one is a bookkeeper. They are recording history for you. So last month just ended. They're getting all your bank statements. They're recording all the cash, all the transactions, everything. They're recording history. And obviously that goes back however long you've been in business. The second person who records history is your accountant. Well, usually they're CPAs or certified public accountants. And they're typically filing taxes for you. Now I make that distinction because that is what, in that, in that role, they are going back in history. And as I'm recording this, it's January, 2023. They're going to be going back in history and recording and documenting to the IRS and to your states and whatnot, what happened in your business in 2022. So they're basically recording history and keeping you compliant with the IRS. So those two functions, super valuable, but their their role is to look in the rear view mirror and document with as much detail as possible. Okay. Sorry, by the way, that I'm like sniffling and probably coughing and stuff like that. I had a cold over the weekend. I'm not quite over it. So now let's go to the other direction, the future looking. And those two roles would be a tax advisor. Now, again, this could be your accountant, but let's put on the hat of tax advisor. They're looking into the future, seeing where things are now and what tax strategies might help you based on the events that are happening now that might help you down the road. So again, they're future facing to come up with strategies that would make sense for you based on where you are today. 
And then the last one, which we're obviously talking about the majority today, is the CFO, whether that's fractional or full-time. They are doing the same thing. They are looking at the financial data in your company, and they are projecting forecasts and making strategic recommendations to you on what is either coming in the future or helping you time things out for the future based on things they can hopefully foresee coming your way. So those are basically the four roles. And now, like I said, this one person could wear all four of these hats for you. They could bookkeep for you. They could file your taxes. They could give you tax planning strategies throughout the year, and they can go over all the numbers and make forecasts and recommendations. They could do all four. Um, in my particular business, we do not do all four. We quarterback the process. So we are the tax advisor and the CFO, and we work with accountants and bookkeepers because we want to spend our time analyzing history, not doing the data entry. One of the other perks, that, and this is not a plug for my company, but one of the perks for us, and this is why we do it this way, is that people that come to us, they might have already an accountant that they've, like maybe it's their parents' account and they've used them forever and they really like them, but they're not giving them tax saving strategies and tax planning strategies. And I try to educate people, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just something they don't do. It's really valuable having people like that that can sit down and say, you know what, this is where we're going to fill out this form because this is a, a massive red flag to the IRS. You know, like they are experts in documenting history and you need that. Same thing with bookkeeping. So none of these are better or worse. They, they're all really needed. Again, you might be doing all these yourself. It doesn't matter, but these, these should be done for all businesses, whether that's yourself or when you are at the place where you can afford to bring on help. This, these are the types of things that are going to help you make those CEO decisions without just winging it. So the basic, so basically to do a quick recap, the roles get broken down into looking in the rear view mirror, that's bookkeeping and tax filing your accountant. And then there's forward looking forecasts and strategies of what's coming down the pike. And those are your tax advisors that Again, they're looking at strategies for uh, forward-looking and the, the fractional CFO, who typically is quarterbacking this whole process. They're working with the bookkeeper and the accountant and the tax advisor. And again, in my firm, we are both the CFO and the tax advisor. So we spend a lot of time grabbing the data and looking forward. So there's three big benefits to having a CFO. And again, I am... I'm hoping this is educational because even if you don't end up hiring someone, this might cue you to, or trigger you to say, and trigger gets a bad term, but I mean, like it, it helps you realize that this is stuff that you should be spending your time on. So the first big benefit we already talked about, it. someone can quarterback this process for you. So you can focus on your clients, growing your business, running your team, and you have somebody talking to your accountant, talking to your bookkeeper, coming up with strategies, getting everyone on the same page, making sure you're on the same page, make sure obviously you're running the, you you are the CEO. So everyone lives and dies by your decisions, but they're doing a lot of the analysis and legwork for you to bring you ideas and recommendations that so you can make the decision with as much information as possible. So you're making smart decisions, not just winging it. The second benefit, 
like we sort of talked about before, interpreting the past. So all that data gets collected by the bookkeeper and it's useless unless someone's sitting there interpreting it. So let's dive into that. Before I give the third reason, let's talk about interpreting the data. And I want to take a step back because I do this stuff all the time. So I, I like I said in the beginning, I try to empathize or not empathize, but think back to when I knew absolutely nothing, like the questions that I had so that I can speak in the language of people who might be listening to this for the first time. And they're like, I don't have my books done. Like, I don't know. Like, I know I'm making a lot of money, like or in terms of revenue, but I don't know these things. That's totally cool. And honestly, I love working with people like that because I get it. Like, I remember, I remember the very first time I had to do taxes as a business owner. I thought I was like being really um, diligent as a business owner. Like I had all my expenses written down and I just put them all, I think it was on a spreadsheet. I just put them all on a massive spreadsheet, but I had no idea what I was doing. Like I was, I had personal stuff in there, business stuff in there. Like I was just, if it was an expense, I was sending it to my accountant thinking like, cool, I'm getting all these write-offs. And then the tax bill came back pretty high and he didn't really explain to me what I did wrong. So I didn't until later on in hindsight, where I was like, oh, that makes sense because I was giving him personal stuff, which is not a write-off and then business stuff, which is, but like in my head, I was getting these massive deductions and he was just waving off all the ones that didn't count, not really educating me on what I was doing wrong um, and actually teaching me the tax code. And this is one of the reasons I have the passion for helping people is because when I was running that business <laughs> and if he's listening, I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. Obviously I'm not going to use his name, but I had an accountant at the time and I still was getting no education, no advice, no planning. And I was winging it, even though I thought like in my head, I'm like, I'm, I'm doing this right. Like I'm 23, 24. I have an accountant. I have a financial advisor. Like I'm good, but they weren't working with business owners. Like, so they weren't helping me. I just felt good knowing they existed in my life, but they were doing nothing for me. Actually, if anything, the financial advisor was hurting me because my business wasn't doing well. It needed money. And he was sending my paychecks to my retirement accounts, which I didn't need funded at such an early age when the business I was trying to get off the ground desperately needed money. So that's another example of why it really is helpful if someone's quarterbacking and bridging into your personal life and saying, Hey, whoa, like, do we need to fund this right so aggressively right now? Because this business is not going to be here in a year if it doesn't get some damn cash flow. So let's go and start talking about the data that does get analyzed. So there's there's three main financial reports that are helpful. Now, the the if you're looking to spend some money and do this right, I highly recommend QuickBooks Online. That's the top one out there. Zero is another one, which is uh, with an X, not a Z. But I, I've, I personally think QuickBooks, it's better because more people use it. So, but whatever. But my point is, if you get a, a nice software like that, there, this, these reports are going to be generated for you when you start inputting the data. And I, I think they're cheapest versions, like 25 a month. So I don't, I think you should get on there if you're, if like you're listening to this, and you're on the fence about hiring somebody, the, the least you could do is go out and get that software and do your best to learn it on like YouTube or something like that. Um, 
we can help you set it up. We have a program that does all this. Um, but I'm, I'm not here to pitch. I want you to like learn. This. So there's three main reports that are important for you as the business owner. I'll say all three and then I'll explain them. There's the balance sheet, the profit and loss statement, and the cash flow statement or statement of cash flows, depending on what you type into Google. So what is the balance sheet? It's a financial statement that contains the details of your company's assets and liabilities at one specific point in time. So you might run it on December 31st and it'll show you like your cash positions, all your other assets, liabilities, like are they short-term liabilities or long-term liabilities? And it gives you an idea of how the business is doing in terms of the debt you have or the cash positions you have, things like that. The profit and loss statement, financial statement that shows the amount of revenue coming in minus the amount of expenses that you have going out. And then it gives you a final number of whether you have a profit or you actually have a loss. And again, they're, they're time bound. So on a, like on 12-31, how'd you do for the year? Are you making money? Are you losing money? The last one, the cash flow statement or statement of cash flows. It summarizes the cash coming into your business and leaving your business. Now, I want to make an important distinction because I made this mistake when I was new in finance as well. Because I was like, oh, I better make sure I understand my profit and loss statement. And it wasn't until I started talking to people who do fractional CFO work that they explained the importance of the cash the cash flow statement. Now, a lot of people listening to this, this may not be a major issue for you because if you don't carry much debt in your business and you don't have a lot of inventory and things like that, which most people listening likely fall in that category, your profit and loss statement and your cash flow statement might look very similar. But regardless, you have to be able to understand how they operate so that you can read it and see your own like icebergs in front of you. So here's the pitfalls of a profit and loss statement. A profitable business can be on the verge of going out of business. And here's why. It's all about debt and debt repayment. So when you incur an expense, like let's say you do a launch and that launch costs you, use a big number, $100,000 in Facebook ads. And so you put that on a credit card. And let's call it January because that'll make the math easier in my head because this is January. So you do that in January. That January, that $100,000 Facebook spend hits your credit card, hits your profit and loss statement. So that month, you see when you, like in February, when you're looking at January's numbers, you see that $100,000 expense. Cool. Now, go to the next month. That expense is gone. Now, let's say hypothetically, you have to spend $10,000 each month to put back on that credit card to pay it off in about a 10-month period. Ignore interest for the purpose of this hypothetical. So each month now, you have $10,000 going to repay that credit card. When that $10,000, and this is potentially hard to articulate verbally, not on like a whiteboard or something, but that following month, February, you're gonna have all your normal expenses. Now let's say that month of February, it shows you 5,000 
sorry, let's say it shows that you have $6,000 worth of profit. Did you actually have a cash profit in February? The answer is no, because like we said, every month you now have to spend $10,000 to repay that credit card. So on your profit and loss statement, you will see a $6,000 profit. However, like we said before with the cash flow statement, that $10,000 that's going to your credit card will be reflected. So the cash balance just dropped by about $4,000 for you because 6,000 was your profit. That'll go towards the cash the, hypothetically. And then $4,000 is coming out of your cash reserves. So that's why it's, and that'll, and that'll continue to happen each month. <coughs> Excuse me. That'll happen each month to you because debt repayment in this example of a credit card is not because you can't count the expense twice. So it's not reflected on your profit and loss in the future months. It's only that cash disappearing to repay that debt is in your cash flow statement. So if you have no debt and you're paying all your credit cards off on time each month, you likely are looking at your profit and loss statement, and your cash flow statement, and there's not a lot of concern because they'll they'll mirror each other very well. But once there's something in your business that is throwing off the cash, that could be clients that, I mean, it doesn't have to be debt. It could be if you do payment terms for clients. So it looks like, like in, in that example, you put a hundred thousand for a big launch and maybe from a sales perspective, let's just keep the math simple. You sold double that. So you had $200,000 of sales come in, but that depending on how you're doing your bookkeeping, it might look like in February, you have a $200,000 of revenue. But if most of those people are paying you over a six month period, your cash that came in isn't the same as the revenue that gets booked. So again, there's another example of how your profit and loss could be like, hell yeah, you had a $200,000 revenue month, but the cash flow statement's like, whoa, we didn't, we didn't get $200,000. And so that's why you really need to be looking at this stuff, especially if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, I have those, those situations. Like I have cash, uh, or I should say, I have sales hitting the business, but not necessarily cash at the same time. You have like a timing issue. That gets back to one of the original questions that a CFO, if, whether you're your own or if someone's helping you, they're answering for you. Can I afford blank? And that would be one of the things that they would look at and say, okay, well, in January, you're going to have a $100,000 month in terms of expenses because we know we're going to put all these Facebook ads. And then the timing wise, we know that you'll have recouped all that and all the sales will come in over February and March. So from a timing perspective, like maybe this expense gets put into April, for example, but those are the timing things. So it's really critical for people to understand that looking at just a profit and loss statement is potentially a formula to doom your business because it can give you very misleading data. You have to correspond. I mean, you should be looking at all three, but I, you have to be able to be looking at how the profit and loss rolls into the cash flow statement to make sure cash is king. Like, so you have to make sure you're not bleeding cash while you stare at a profit and loss statement and high five yourself because there's a timing issue potentially. So I can't emphasize that enough. I hope in a podcast format where I'm not, I'm not whiteboarding or anything, I hope that's helpful information 
or at least enough for you maybe like go Google, like, hey, why is a cash flow statement and a profit and loss statement so important together? And like, what's what's not on a profit and loss statement? So you can maybe find a YouTube video that can articulate it better than I just did, but put you on the path to realize like, you know, if you if you ever had a cash issue, that might be why. And if you you're confused because you look at a very healthy profit and loss statement, that might be the the remedy or not the remedy the uh, the symptom that you need to go look at. That's a terrible example. So that was that was the data. So again, these are the three reports that you're looking at history to see what happened, and then you're going to start doing work to look at the next thing, which is the trends. So you're going to look back in history and see how is your, let's say you go back 12 months, 12, 13 months, you're going to look at your revenue. Is it trending up? Is it trending down? Are you stagnating? Same with expenses, trending up, trending down, flat, and then dive a little deeper when you look at your expenses. Like what are the big ones? Like what are your top five expenses? What are your top 10? Like on our reports, we track the top five. Because you want to know what those are, because that one, those might be the easiest for you to reduce, um, or two, something might be on that top list that you weren't expecting. You know, some of the things that that could be on that list could be payment processing fees, things like that. That maybe you could do something about it. Margins, you know, like how profitable is your business from a net profit perspective? Now, I will say this it it can be a double-edged sword because you want as healthy of profit margins as you can possibly get, but you have to marry that with the fact that, hey, we're business owners. We're going to push legal personal expenses into the business legally. But so just be aware, don't get, if you are pushing legally travel, kids, like put the kids on payroll, all the cool strategies. If you're pushing all of that into the business and you're doing a a kick-ass job of doing so, you have to be aware that you're doing that because if you, if you hear like, oh, well, I should have like a profit margin of at least 35% and yours is 25%, but you have very successfully gone to a conference every other weekend traveled to do this, saw vendors here, brought the family, brought the the everybody, and you've done it right, and your personal expenses might have been very minimal, just be aware. Again, like it's, it's knowledge that your profit might actually be much higher from a business perspective, but from a tax perspective, you whittled it down. And those are always going to be two separate things because if you ever go to sell your business, you want to be able to give a potential buyer, very confident uh, assurances and whatnot in that like, if your business is doing $500,000 a year and you can sit down and say, well, actually potential buyer, my business is doing closer to 650 a year and this is why. And you could start to what they call like normalize the income and show them, well, you know, I have my family on payroll. I've got health insurance for the kids on here. I've got... You know, we did these family trips around this business event and blah, blah, blah. Like we put, so you could expect about $650,000 worth of net profit. I only was getting around 500 and it was because of tax strategy and, you know, living the entrepreneur life legally. So 
just something to be aware of because you do want to know if your profits are low, maybe that's intentional. Maybe it's not necessarily a negative on your business if it's saving you on the personal side. So now let's talk about the forecasting again, like the future part of the CFO work. This is why it's really helpful to do goal setting. And I know I'm biased on this and I bring it up a lot, but this is why it's so critical in my opinion that the financial expert in your, like the personal finance, like if it's financial advisor, financial planner, whoever, I use those terms fairly interchangeably, they either are involved or the members of the team are, are wearing a similar hat because when we're goal setting, typically those goals are on the personal side. Like what do you need this business to generate for you personally? So if you say, and I talked about this on a prior episode, if you say I need to, oh yeah, it was my goal setting episode, actually. <laughs> I think it was at the end of, yeah, it was, I think it was the last one of 20, uh, 2022. <clears throat> and as I'm, Excuse me. As I'm recording this, it's pinned on my social media at the Pat Darby. But hold on, let me just give it to you. Yeah, episode 64 is where I go more in depth with this. But the goal setting is so critical because you need to account for the other other factors. If you say that, you know, the the, the challenge people run into is they give you an, themselves an arbitrary revenue goal. You know, I want to do a million dollars a year. Cool. But what does that even mean? Like if it costs you $600,000 or I'll just make a round number between your team and ad spend and everything, if getting to a million dollars costs you $950,000, I bet you would say, well, that actually was, I actually didn't want a million then if it costs, if it means my profits 50K. So it's like, all right, well, then maybe your goal is actually a little bit more profit related. And then when you get into the profit side, you say, okay, well, if your profit goal is 100,000 a month, well, what's that really translate to you personally? Like, what are your personal expenses? Because we know we're gonna lose a big chunk of that to taxes and things like that. So we start working backwards and we're monitoring. Every time we, we grab a goal, we wanna throw a KPI behind it. Because again, if you say, all right, I wanna have $100,000 of net profit, cool, that could be, a KPI key performance indicator that we track. It's the same in your fitness world. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it, you can't improve it. So if a client walks in, they want to lose weight, but you have no clue what their current weight is. Not You have no clue what their body measure, measurements are, no clue what they're eating. It's going to be very hard to set a goal, let alone the action steps. But if the goal is just like, I want to look better, well, I would imagine that'd be a very difficult job for most fitness coaches if if the goal is I want to look better. So it's very similar with your numbers. You want to have specific targets because then you can measure it. And as a fractional CFO, I don't have a lot of KPIs for qualitative um, goals. You know, like I try to turn a qualitative goal into a data point because I don't know how to run a report for something vague. So. That's that's the overarching theme of the forecasting the future is the goal setting. So then you get uh, get into what we talked about before, the cash management. This is the lifeblood of you, the CEO, like what you need to know from like, where's the cash coming and going and where's it going to need to be? So let's talk about that. Like very simple example, like what we like to do is throughout the year, 
run tax estimates for people, typically around when the estimates are due. But it's also really valuable to tell a client, we know that in the beginning of the year, we were estimating you would save, you would put aside $30,000 a month of, or sorry, 30% of your revenue per month into a tax account. But you're having a really good year based on where we project your tax liability. Maybe your tax liability went from $100,000 estimate that you would owe to $160,000. So now we can say, all right, you're on pace now to owe another 60K. Where's that cash coming from? Now we can forecast out that we need to increase our tax savings, not waiting till April for the accountant to say, all right, well, you, you owe another 60 grand. We need to pay that next week. You know, like that would be a, even for successful business, that would be a challenge because they, they might, that 60K might've just mentally been allocated or physically allocated and you don't have it anymore. So tax liability is a huge cash management tool that your tax advisor and your fractional CFO should be monitoring for you. Uh, same thing when it comes to the tax side, like I feel like this can't get emphasized enough. It's like, if you're an S corp, you know, you're paying yourself a salary and that salary is based on the profit of the business. So it has to be reasonable. So someone needs to keep track of whether you're paying yourself way too much or way too little and make those adjustments if needed. Profit allocation. We talked about that with the goal setting. Like, where are you trying to go? Like, what do you want your profit to be? And when you know what that profit goal is for your personal expenses and goals, like if you're like, oh, I want, I need 50K to hit me after taxes, after everything, I need 50K to hit me. Well, that's fine. We got to work back up the business expenses to say, all right, what kind of revenue do we need to support 50K after taxes to you, the business owner? And you might say, oh, well, currently, if we're doing 40K of revenue, or sorry, let's say 40K of revenue, and that's translating to 20K of profit. So you just say, well, let's just add $30,000 to the revenue side, and that should give us $30,000 on the profit side. Moving your business from 40K of revenue to 70K of revenue to try to and keep at the 20K expense mark, is that doable for you? Like if at the 40K per you are completely tapped out from in terms of clients and time and team, that math wouldn't work. So if you tried to simplify it and say, well, I'll just add every dollar of revenue is an additional dollar of profit. Cause maybe that was true for the last 10,000 or so. But if you're completely at your saturation point from a timing perspective, like you couldn't take on more clients in this hypothetical. Well, then when we worked our way back up to say, well, 40K was 20K of profit. So 70K should be 50K of profit. That may not prove to be true. And this is where the timing of saying like, can I afford blank? Because we might be like, well, if you get to 70K, you would need to hire somebody. And that person would come at $10,000 a month, let's say. So now you're at 70K of revenue, but your profit was only at 40. And we had articulated the goals 50. So now we're still doing more projections up the revenue channel saying, okay, well, then it sounds like maybe we need to be around 80K because we, we realized, yeah, to, to hit that much revenue would be this many clients or this many group programs or this many ebooks or whatever the case may be. But 
there's likely expenses that get com- that come up. Like if you say, all right, I have this course. And if so, I'll just sell more of the course. Like, okay, well, what, and I'm not a marketing person, but the, the math you have to do is, well, how many ads do you have to sell or sorry, get to spend money on to hit that revenue goal that we just said. And if whatever that number is, let's say it's spent 5,000 a month to hit the revenue goal that you just said for the, the program. Well, now we have to go back up and add another 5,000 of revenue because it just got cannibalized by the expense that helps you get there. So now you have to go up even higher. So these, these are the types of things that, again, you can do all this yourself, but it's really valuable to have someone in the conversation with you because this is what they do. They evaluate these things. They say, well, you're trying to move up that revenue ladder, but what's the timing of these different expenses? So that actually leads me into um, really my last advantage. I shouldn't say... Actually, yeah, all the other things that I mentioned, you can do yourself. And, and then again, I, st- I don't know what will end up being the title of this episode. I'm leaning towards I was the two that I'm between like problem solved by a fractional CFO, <coughs> excuse me, or be your own CFO. I don't know. Well, you guys clicked on a race. So you know what the title is. But the last piece of this that I feel is super valuable about a fractional CFO, these are the qualitative benefits. The first one, and again, this is where I feel like hiring someone is better than you doing it. And I'm not just saying that because this is what I do for a living. And I would love to have you listen, the listener as my client and love to help you. But your business is your baby. My business is my baby. It is not the same. Even though I do this for a living, it is not the same when I look at my own numbers because I have an emotional attachment to what I want them to be potentially more than what they are or where I wish they were or where they are going because I am not a third party objective viewer on my own numbers. And you are the same. You are not an objective third party on your numbers. Now you can do your best to be, and I'm not saying you, you can't do a great job of it, but that is the innate flaw that we have as business owners is that our business is our baby. And it's hard sometimes to, to see the ugly in it on our own. Sometimes people, and it might take us a lot of work to see it where someone else is clear as, <laughs> it's clear as day as soon as they look at it because they have no skin in the game. They're just being an observer of the facts. <clears throat> and the second thing, and I find this to be, yeah, I don't know, reassuring or, or sometimes I feel like it's an interesting thing. And I guarantee you have the same thing with fitness. The other advantage having a someone else be your fractional CFO is it's forced accountability. I've got some clients that I know they don't look at their numbers until we're about to meet or we're meeting and I'm going through the numbers with them. And so that's like the funny thing about a lot of finance is like, I'll have people be like, oh my God, you helped me so much. And I'm like, all I did was sit down and watch you answer questions about your own spending habits. Like you almost didn't need me here. I'm just here as you're compiling information that's always been at your fingertips, but you needed someone to be like, Hey, I paid you. So I'm going to make sure I make, get the most out of this meeting. And I mostly am just sitting there like, and I, and I guarantee you have the very similar things with some of your fitness clients in that a lot of what you do for them is just be there for them as they kind of figure a lot of the stuff out on their own. So those last two, I, I think are, I don't know how to qualify 
quantify them. That's why I put them as qualitative benefits. But basically, being able to be a third-party resource to somebody that they can lean on and either confirm what they are thinking. Like some of my best clients, like they really are sharp. Like they really are financially literate. And sometimes it's like, why do you even have me on? But it's very comforting for people to have someone to bounce this idea off of, especially because, and I'm borrowing this from like Andy Versella because he actually talked about it this morning on his Real AF podcast was as a business owner, your social circle gets really small because in the beginning, maybe no one's supporting you. And so you can't gripe to them or they just don't understand because they have a nine to five and they don't understand why you're working 80 hours a week to make less than you used to because you just launched your business. Or as your success grows, maybe you can't talk to them again because now you're sounding like you're bragging. So, that's another like that's why in the beginning of my career I found it interesting. I was like, why like it was also a lot of like um imposter syndrome. I was like, why is this person hiring me? Like maybe they're smarter than me. Like what's what's going on here? But now I start to get it. It's like even if they know the same amount as me, they want someone to bounce ideas off of or to just listen to them because maybe they're at home, they can't have these conversations because either it's not supported or they couldn't get validation that they agree that this is the right strategy because maybe that person wouldn't know what I don't know. That example went weird, but you get my point is that even people who really know their stuff, having someone that they could bounce ideas off of or confirm what they're seeing has a lot of value to it. So hopefully this episode was, was helpful to you. Um, if you have questions about this, uh, reach out to me. My Instagram again is at the Pat Darby. I love talking about this stuff. I highly recommend people if if you can't afford the forecasting side, as soon as you can, I do recommend you getting the the history takers. Like if you're a business owner, I really don't think you should be using the the big box chains for your taxes and stuff because you need someone who can really help you try to get some of the deductions. And then also when you can afford a bookkeeper, they're going to make your life a lot easier because what we talked about today, you should be spending your time looking at the data, not inputting data. So, but I get, depending on where you are in your business, I get that you might have to do both from a cost perspective, but having someone record history for you this, as soon as possible is really going to help you spend your time making strategic decisions. So, all right, guys, I hope you have an awesome week and see you later. Thank you for joining us this week on Build Your Wealth Muscle. The links mentioned in this episode are available in the show notes. For video clips and more information on tax and retirement strategies for fitness entrepreneurs, please follow my Instagram at the Pat Darby. If you found value in this episode, please do us a favor and share with a friend. If you tag me, that'd be appreciated also. Lastly, for help implementing any of the topics discussed, please book a call. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.